0: It's really interesting. I guess it's simply the transition from typing and text to voice. It'd be interesting to ask psychologists why that is. There's probably some, you know, interesting ideas as to, as to why that is. But it's something about that transition. It's more a you want to make a connection with the student. And the idea of just justifying the grade, or like I say, really talking to the assignment, kind of falls out. It's very, very interesting.
1: We originally were a podcast, so it's hard for me to not say, welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast, as we uh, typically say to kick off, but this is actually something that's a continuation of that. So we had John Orlando on the Digital to Learn podcast and felt that he was one of the key people that needed to come back to do a deep dive webinar on a topic that he is known for, um, and that is on screencasting and voice feedback. So I'm going to introduce him. In just a moment uh, but i i want to repeat kind of what mike said and that is in terms of um, the flow for today we're actually going to sit back and hear from john um, for all of those that are joining live thank you and for all of those that are watching this recording thank you as well uh, but back to our guest john orlando john is a contributing author and editor of the teaching professor which is one of my uh, favorite ways to figure out what's going on in higher ed and its evidence-based practices from some of the the top names globally, some of the top teaching professors. So please check that out. Um, But without further ado, John, if you could lead us into a discussion of screencasting and voice feedback, that would be great.
0: Thank you very much, Tiffany. And I will share my screen in just a second. I have to start with a confession. I was wrong. I was wrong. You see, When I learned to teach many years ago, was taught how to teach, I thought this was teaching. I thought teaching was lecturing because that's how my mentors taught when I was a grad school student, and that's how I began teaching. But it wasn't until many years later and research and working with uh, well-known teachers and various organizations that I learned that teaching is not about lecturing. I learned that feedback is the most important factor that influences student achievement. And here you have a uh, chart from a well-known study, and you see feedback right at the top. It's interesting. It trumps even instructional quality, all of the things that you think of, homework, teaching style, all those. Feedback on performance has been proven to be the number one factor that influences learning now what's interesting is when you first hear this you think okay well i give feedback on student assignments for instance i was taught that when a student submitted a work in the old blue books that shows you how old i was and i want to evaluate an essay i go down the uh, essay mentally subtracting points for each mistake and then writing things like vague or lax synthesis or sentence fragment in the margins But the problem is that was completely unhelpful. A student who sees vague says to himself, vague, well, why is it vague? It's not vague to me, why is it vague to you? And if it lacks synthesis, maybe they don't know how to synthesize. Maybe they thought they synthesized and didn't do it. And same with sentence fragment. People who use sentence fragments probably don't know what one is or they won't have used it. What I was doing was justifying the grade. And that's the wrong way to think of feedback. And we're going to take a look at voice and screencasting feedback and the benefits. But what I want to do to start, though, is really impress upon you what feedback is. Because when you really understand what feedback is, it helps um, explain why voice and screencasting feedback are such a benefit. And it's important for teaching in general. So what I had learned is that I should be thinking like a coach. So let's use the the metaphor to what I had just said about putting something like vague on the column. Now, let's imagine you sent your child to Little League camp for a week. You paid for a week of Little League camp and you asked after a week, well, what'd you learn? And your child says, my coach says my swing is wrong and I get a C. Well, you'd say, so what? Okay, what, why is it wrong? How does he improve it? What, what's going on? You know, that's not enough. I want my money back. But that's exactly what we do when we believe little comments like vague or lax synthesis. All we're doing is just justifying the grade. We're, we're subtracting points because it's vague or lax synthesis. And we feel like we have to justify it with margin comments. But that is not what feedback is for. And this is the most common problem I see with working with faculty. I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of faculty is they tie their feedback to the grade. They make their feedback in service to the grade. And that's the wrong way of thinking about it. Feedback is for improvement. Feedback is to improve the student's performance. And that's why probably the most powerful metaphor, I know it's most powerful metaphor, is to think like a coach, because coaches are performance oriented. They're judged by the performance of their players. The best coaches, uh, the ones that make the most money are what? The ones that have the best teams, the ones who are national championship teams, NFL championship teams, right? So they're focused on the performance of their players and What you'll notice is because they're performance oriented, they spend very little time lecturing. They spend most of their time watching the players perform and give feedback on that performance. Now, the same thing with grading. Now, they do generally grade, like in the NFL, it's called grading out. At the end of a game, your coach will say you graded out a B. But that's very, very little of what they do. It's maybe 2% of what they do. 98% is explaining how to improve performance. And the problem is what I had been taught to do is 98% is about grading and only 2% is really about improving performance. So as a faculty member, I was taught the opposite. And by the way, this coaching metaphor is something that was developed by the people like Grant Wiggins, Jay Teague, who were really gurus of feedback, understand by design and backward design. And I think they really hit it on the head. And we're gonna to return to that metaphor over and over. And I really believe if you want to be a great teacher, think like a coach. Always ask yourself, what would a coach do? And that's really gonna give you guidance in how to improve the performance of your students. Now, that's some quick background, and we're going to see how that's going to apply in uh, voice and screencasting feedback. Now, I want to emphasize that what we're talking about with video feedback, with screencasting feedback in particular, is not a video of the instructor speaking. It's not a webcam video, Okay. That's what, unfortunately, very often people think of when they think of video feedback. And I've seen this in the Chronicle of Higher Education. Many years ago, they had an article about a teacher. Oh, he has this great new form of feedback. Yeah, and it's a webcam video of himself speaking. And that's good. That's good. I'm not going to say that's bad. I actually think that's better than we're going to see. There's advantages over text. However, that's not really what you should be displaying. The topic is not you as the instructor. The topic is the student's work. So the display should be the student's work, like this. Now, you can put yourself at the bottom, say, corner or top corner in a webcam shot. And I think that may help kind of uh, humanize what you're doing. And we're going to see an example. I'll walk you through an example at the end of this uh, session. but. It's important to understand that you're talking about the student's work. So the feedback is similar to a student sitting next to an instructor in their office. And what do you do? Well, you know, again back in the old blue book days, you know, now on a computer, I guess, you know, they sit next to you, you open up the blue book, you open up the computer screen and you go down and you're both looking at the student's work and the instructor is circling things and things like that that's why it should be a screencast where the content of the screen is the student's work and this also allows you to work on the student's work and we'll see that in a moment where you can delete things you can highlight things you can do stuff like that to draw attention to exactly what you're talking about so i want to emphasize that that's what i'm talking about when i talk about the video the screencast it's up the of the student's work itself because after all showing a photo of of you when the topics the students work is like showing a photo of the Statue of Liberty when the topic is the Eiffel Tower. So if the topic is the students work, that's what the content uh, of the screen should be. Now, there have been numerous studies talking about or examining the uh, voice screencasting and text feedback. And I did one study, in fact, uh, the study I did was the first one that compared all three at once. Although a number of studies have compared them in pairs, like text to voice, text to screencast. Now, text to voice was the first area people looked at. Uh, A man by the name of uh, Phil Ice did a lot of wonderful stuff here. And I'll be talking about the things that these studies have found about why voice and screencasting feedback benefits students. And one of the themes that came out of these studies when they asked students to compare voice or screencasting feedback to text feedback is that students said they had improved ability to understand nuance when the feedback came via voice or screencast over text. And the reason for that is simple, that much, in fact, some people say most of communication is not in what we say, but in how we say it, right? Well, you may say something to someone else where it sounds like you're being angry, but you use your facial expression to show it's a joke, right? And that's why emoticons are used in emails, right? Because when we translate face-to-face or voice communication to text, we lose those kind of signals that modulate the tone. And for some reason, people just kind of overread anger in text, I think. I don't know why that is. That's a view I have, but that's why we use a little emoticon, so a little smiley face to reintroduce the lost fidelity that comes when you switch from voice to text. So we're trying to reintroduce those little signals that modulate the tone of our message and helps it carry through so that's one thing students reported they could better understand what the instructor was saying that's very important a lot of faculty will say my students don't take the feedback i give them 99 percent of the time when i hear that it's something to do with miscommunication the student doesn't get it or the feedback is simply unhelpful Okay, so I've found that students will apply willingly and very gladly apply feedback if they understand it and it's it's helpful to them. So that's one thing. Another interesting thing in one of the studies found that when faculty were allowed to express their feedback in voice form or text form and then compare the two, the faculty naturally used five times more adjectives when they use their voice over text and this is interesting because it shows a more expressive language and it shows a sense of really want to communicate with the student and the one thing that i think we do as faculty members and again i speak for myself but i've seen ours do it we're used to writing academic articles so when we write text even in feedback to our students we can easily fall into a kind of austere academic language whereas when we speak to them face to face, our language is totally different. It's just quite literally a different way of communicating. And that's normal. I mean, we all communicate in text in a slightly different language than we do in spoken language. And they found that uh, faculty will just naturally uh, use a more expressive language. And this is what helps students understand what's being said. Those adjectives help amplify, focus, they provide some of the improved, that nuance that's important. Now, studies also showed that voice and screencasting feedback caused students to re- t- increase the retention of the feedback. Students uh, understood the feedback better the, itself when it was in voice or screencasting form. They understood the content which the feedback referred better when it was in voice or screencasting form. And in this one study, and again, this is one by Phil Ice, he found that when he compared audio to uh, text feedback, that students incorporate the audio feedback three times more often in their final projects. They applied it, which means they probably understood it or they saw its importance or value or something like this. But It had an effect so again when faculty talk about students don't apply my feedback, I think many of us have felt that one time or another right. Well, here we go a study that they used to five times more often just by switching to audio feedback, which is, which is very, very important very interesting. Now. Another theme that emerges from these studies is that when students are given voice or screencasting feedback, they feel an increased sense of instructor caring. And I think this kind of goes to the fact that when you're grading in just text form, there's a sense in which you start talking to the assignment. And it's kind of hard to explain what that is. But when you're saying stuff like vague or things like that, you're almost talking to the assignment. Uh, When you're speaking with your voice, either with a screencast or just voice feedback, you really kind of start talking to the student. And it's, again, a difference in language between uh, grading and a student sitting next to you in your office and you helping them. And think about when a student sits next to you in your office, The idea of a grade isn't really central. The focus is, okay, how can I help you? That's really the mindset becomes, how can I help you? And students felt that, that there's an increased sense of instructor caring. Now, another interesting theme in, again, I'm going back to the Phil Ice study where they compared audio to screencasting is that faculty naturally gave more feedback and less time. And the numbers are very interesting. When we compare the two types of feedback, faculty spent about 13 and a half minutes on text and just less than four minutes on audio on average. But the mean quantity of feedback was much higher. The text feedback was you know, 129 words to about 130. Audio was 331. So it's almost three times as much feedback in almost one third time. Well, why is that? Well, part of the reason is we can simply speak faster than we write. That's part of the reason. The other thing is that going back to uh, this idea of academic writing style, when we're writing to students, we're kind of careful about what we want to say. We're worried about spelling, grammar, because we ding our students on grammar and writing errors. So we don't want to make them ourselves. You know, it's hugely embarrassing when you look at the students' work and you realize, oh, I made a spelling error in my comment to them. You know, one idiot. So you're really conscientious about that. But in voice and screencasting feedback, you don't have that worry. So you can say a lot more in less time. Also online students felt that they had less isolation and more motivation when they got feedback in voice and screencasting form versus text. And again, I think this goes to a sense of instructor caring, connection. I think when you hear someone's voice, when you see their face, um, and especially hearing their, their voice, you're just connected to them in a way that text does not connect us to one another as well. And another interesting thing I found, and this is in particular with my study, is that faculty kind of left the grading-based mentality in working with the student's assignment to a teaching-based mentality. And again, just goes back to the idea of many faculty, like I used to do, basically the feedback was justifying the grade. So we're, you're really just worried about the grade and then explaining why they did you know, as poorly as they did or something like that. And if they did well, you just said great job or something like that. Whereas once you switch to voice and screencasting, You adopt the mindset that I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to help fix the problems. Again, I'm going to turn to this metaphor of a student sitting next to you in your office. That's the kind of mindset you naturally fall into when you start giving voice or screencasting feedback. It's really interesting. I guess it's simply the transition from typing and text to voice. It'd be interesting to ask psychologists why that is. There's probably some you know interesting ideas as to why that is, but it's something about that transition. It's more of a you want to make a connection with the student. And the idea of just justifying the grade, or like I say, really talking to the assignment kind of falls out. It's very, very interesting. Now I'm going to give you some advice on how to do voice and screencasting feedback. And then I'm gonna do is I'll walk through an example. So first off, when you do voice or screencasting feedback, it's very important to be yourself and don't worry about editing the feedback, okay? So when I did my study comparing all three forms, I told instructors that on one-third of the feedback would be text, one-third voice, one-third screencast. And what's interesting is one instructor wrote down her feedback for the voice section, wrote it down in in text, and then just read the script to the students. Well, obviously, you you give up all the time savings benefit. Now you're spending more time than you did before, plus you're falling back into the the writing feedback. I mean, you're not really doing anything better than writing. You're just reading them a script. You You could have just given them the script, you're reading it to them like they're illiterate or something. So the point is, don't worry about scripting. Now, you might want to make a few notes on the assignment as to what you want to talk about. That's what I normally do. I say I want to cover these three major points or something like that. But beyond that, you don't script. You just talk like I'm doing now. And don't worry about editing. Don't worry about fixing the mistakes you make, editing out the ums and ahs, or going back and re-recording because you said uh, the wrong word or you need to change it. You know, when we're speaking face to face in voice, we don't like somehow edit ourselves, we just correct ourselves. You know, we say, I mean you'll just or uh, uh you know, we listen through the ums and the ahs. This is different from creating permanent course content for your online course. When you're creating permanent course content, it should be fairly clean, I think. I mean there can be a few points where you kind of go um and move on. If it gets too excessive, it kind of bothers people for permanent course content. We're not kind of used to that. So for permanent course content, you probably have to re-record and things like that. But remember, feedback is just analogous to what you would say to a student if they sitting next to you so don't cause the time commitment to explode by trying to edit yourself or trying to write out the script just talk to them and if you make a mistake you do know, just fix it like you would normally in you know spoken language another thing is just tell the students ahead of time that you'll be giving voice or screencasting feedback now many people ask but if you if you do this where the ada implications of students have a hearing problem and the answer is simple that By telling them ahead of time, they can say, you know, I have a bit of a hearing problem. Could you give me text? And you say, sure, I'll just go back to the form I would have used otherwise, right? Text. So it could be a hearing problem. The the Arab way it comes up is probably less hearing problem, but if English isn't the native language, then, you know, It's a little harder to listen to a language that's not your own and interpret it than read it, because obviously you have to interpret it at the speed at which the speaker is talking, whereas reading, you can read at your own speed and reread. So that's probably where it comes up a little more often. So you just tell students ahead of time. And if they say it's not going to work for me, fine, I'll go back and give you the text that I would have given otherwise. So there is no natural ADA problem with this. It's just let them know ahead of time. The other thing is that you want to work on the assignment. So for instance, this is an example where a student's assignment was structured poorly. And what I wanted to do was basically show them how to structure the assignment better. So I said, let's do this as an outline. So before you start in the assignments, do this. Take this assignment directions. And make them the first bullet points on your outline. So each of these major bullet points, like identify each business professional and briefly describe their main contributions to the field. And so you know, use that. And then the assignment says to compare Dell and Grove. So that's what Dell, okay, what did he say? Grove, what did he say? And then go down like that. And I said now that would by using the assignment directions, it'll better structure your assignment. It'll make it easier for your reader to understand where you're going. And what will, will you do, do better? So what I'm doing, you notice, is that I am actually modifying the assignment. In fact, you can do stuff like delete a paragraph. You say, this doesn't belong here. Well, delete it. And you don't have to worry about, but well, I'm, I'm modifying their work. I shouldn't be modifying someone else's work. Well, you're only deleting it for the purpose of the screencast. You're not deleting it like out of their file. Uh, in fact, you don't have to change the actual original assignment docket at all, right? At the end, just don't save the changes. Just you know leave the original so any changes you made aren't saved or save them under a different version number. That's probably better So moving things around will show students how to restructure things. like this paragraph has should be over here. okay, let's do that. cut and paste, right? Show students how they should be working with their stuff. And that's something I think we don't teach students enough. Certainly when I write, and I think it's true, most people who write for publication, you're constantly saying, oh, the section's in the wrong spot. This paragraph should be somewhere else. You know, that's how you edit. Show students how you edit, right? Show students how you develop a work. That's really talking about the process issues that lead to a product. And a lot of times as faculty, we leave that out. We talk about the product, but we don't go through the process which leads to it. We don't teach them the process to produce a product. So, how do we create a paper when we're going to write, you know, how do, how do we structure? Well, explain that to them. You know, you're an expert in the field that they come to you to learn your expertise, we'll share that expertise. So there's a lot of expertise we have we don't share with our students. So this is an opportunity to share that kind of expertise with your students that they you know, need to perform better.
1: Thanks, John. It's always so great to hear from you. We're gonna stop the show here and come back next week for part two with John Orlando. Please join us next week. And in the meantime, like and share our podcast.
0: Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform.
0: Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation
1: at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.